Fox News alert millions of American families. Yeah, Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for CBS News. I'm George Thomas. We begin with the latest. Here at St. John's Baxville, there are certainly a lot of factors here at the LAPD. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for CBS News. Watch on George Thomas. We begin with the latest in the coronavirus pandemic. Number of cases here in the U.S. Liberty Podcast, the best podcast you've never heard of, fighting for free speech and spreading the message of liberty. Find us at risetoliberty.com for everything related to the show, including our merch, social media, episode player, and much more. Today we have a very special guest on the show, Sergey of Yushenka Show, is a very wonderful YouTube channel uh, highlighting the good, the bad, the ugly all sides of life in and under Soviet rule. How are you doing today, Sergey? Good. How's it going? Oh, it's it's going pretty good early. So good. Yeah. yeah. Nice to be on your podcast. It's uh yeah, Michigan is on Eastern time, so we got already 10 o'clock, so we're good to go. Waiting for big snowstorm coming rolling in tonight and tomorrow. So how's the weather been over there? Uh uh, well, we finally got some real winter in uh, January. December was really warm, but I still like winter. Still, I guess, young enough, so I enjoy winter. <laughs> so let's uh, jump into it. Um, sure. So you were you were born in Ukraine in the seventies, correct? Right. I was born in 1971 in July in Kiev, Ukraine, capital of the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic. So I was born about two months before Nikita Khrushchev passed away. So he died, I believe, in September of 1971. I think it was September 11th, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Yep, 1971. So yes, I, I basically lived for 20 years uh, in the Soviet Union. So I was 20 when Soviet Union uh, collapsed back in end of 1991. And then uh, it became interesting after that. So. And then the first time you had come to the United States was 1995, right? That's correct. So, yeah, Ukraine became independent. Uh, borders opened up. Uh, so there was exchange program that you could participate if you have a good English. Uh, so I came and I uh, to Michigan to work on exchange program in a summer camp. Yeah, actually. That's what I describe in my book. American Diaries, 1995. So that's me back in those days. Look a little bit younger, but a little bit meaner, of course, wearing Adidas. <laughs> so uh, how how was life in general uh, under Soviets? Um, this is really what his channel is about. So make sure and go check out for more detail. Um, but yeah, what, what was life really like under? Right. Well, you know, you never think about it when you live there. So, and you know, most of my time there was a kid, 
So uh, I I was really happy with my childhood. We have this kind of like a standard uh, phrase said, so happy Soviet childhood. Uh, so when you're little, you don't really realize, you know, what's going on. You just uh, enjoy. And, you know, my parents did a good job making my life as comfortable they could. Uh, so and now, since I live in America for about the same amount of time, 20 years, I look back. And, you know, if you ever visited zoo, uh, you know, you go to the lion's cage and you could see little cubs, they play and they have fun. That the adults that look gloomy and sad, they just lay there because they know they trap they're in a cage. While little ones, they don't understand that. So I think a lot of them, like my upbringing as a kid, I don't know any better. So I have no bad memories about my childhood. It felt safe. Uh, I was, as probably most kids in the Soviet Union, so-called lechki kid, I think it's the expression, right? So yeah. we wore our keys on our necks on the rope because yeah. uh, everyone by law was required to work. Uh, you weren't allowed to be unemployed. So that's a nice way of fighting unemployment. You just make it illegal. Uh, <laughs> so if you don't work for more than three months uh, without valid reason, like you're sick you know, or taking care of some sick relative, uh, you can be called a parasite of society, and that will make you, uh, you go to jail or you go find some work. So everyone had to work. So kids come from school around, you know, 2, 3 p.m., then lock their own apartment buildings. I lived in Kiev, so it's apartment building. And get your own food, and then you do homework or you go play outside. So that's how my childhood went. And I said, I, I felt safe. There was no, like, stories about uh, kids being, uh, you know, taken away of the streets and unmarked the white vans, anything like that. Uh, so childhood was great in that respect. It's when you get older, then you start kind of bumping your head in this outer cage, and then it's you getting annoyed and uh, stuff like that. that. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, I've, I've learned quite a bit from your show. And one thing I, I thought was pretty interesting is you, you were talking about uh, – grocery shopping you, know, you have several several videos about uh the food over there um and the grocery shopping and how the food was great quality but there just wasn't enough of it to go around right um what's well, interesting i wouldn't even call it grocery shopping you know in my understanding you know my language english is my second language uh, shopping is when you go and you don't know what you want to buy so you shop you just like, oh, that looks good, or that sounds good. I'll try this. So this is in my mind is shopping. In Soviet Union, we were buying food. You go in like, oh, they have a salami today. I'm buying it, you know. Or they had some Swiss cheese, so I'll grab some of that. So I don't remember anyone in Soviet Union making grocery lists. It's just like unheard of. Uh, my mother was going to the grocery stores pretty much in a daily. It's like a daily thing. On the way from work, she would stop at different grocery stores to see what they have. Maybe they have, you know, some condensed milk that she want to have for the later cooking, or hopefully they have something else. So that's like, it's a permanent buy, looking for buy food. And in Kiev was supplied actually pretty well comparing with like uh, smaller towns and villages. So we didn't have like shortage of uh, main items, but they're always so-called deficit that you uh, can't just find in the store every day. So 
what was your first impressions coming to the United States? Well, uh, it was a, you know, like kind of exploring like a different planet. Of course, uh, when we went, I actually specifically went like to do a exploration of American supermarket. I mean, we're talking already in the 90s, so the Soviet Union was gone and we started getting more stuff in our stores. But still, like I remember I was, I had a giggles when I saw individually packed garlic heads, you know, like cute little box where the garlic head <laughs> is inside. I was like, this America, they're crazy. Like, you know, most of our items, when you go to buy in, in back home, you know, you go to the vegetables and fruit store, that was called vegetables and fruits. And it's just big boxes and that says big box full of potatoes. And you tell lady, do you like to buy, you know, two kilograms or you like to buy so many heads of garlic. So everything was unpacked and they just give it to you and then wrap a newspaper or if you bring your own bag. So to see all these uh, individually packed items, especially like make it all looking cute, it was, it was really bizarre. And of course, well, back then I came in 95. Uh, so I was an engineer back home and my salary was equal to like $20 a month. So seeing grocery prices in America, I, I was shocked. It was look, everything looks so expensive. Uh, like uh, jeans, uh, shoes, everything like that. Electronics was super cheap here, like twice cheaper, but food was way more expensive. So that was definitely a learning curve um, about abundance and I could understand why they need like five kinds of salt, you know, have a ice cream salt and kosher salt and some other crazy, I was like, what the heck? Like it's salt, it should be just one kind, you know, or we never had brown sugar, powdered sugar, just sugar. Yeah. You know? So that's kind of was a different experience, definitely. So living in Ukraine, uh, in the time period you had actually lived during the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. Yep. How how did that affect not only the country but where you were? Uh, well, Kiev was actually affected pretty bad, uh, badly. It's not right away. We got lucky initially because uh, winds were um, going north, so uh, south wind. So it was blowing uh, away from us. So that's why Belarus got affected like really bad but mostly rural areas. Then it turned around. So a Chernobyl explosion happened on April 26th. Around like May, uh, early May, like April, maybe it's, uh, 31st, I think it was 31 days in April, if I remember correctly, maybe 30. So anyway, around May 1st, it's when the wind turned around and started blowing radi radioactive uh, contamination our way and of course, uh, our media was really sketchy about it. And I mentioned uh, when I was talking about HBO Chernobyl show that they missed big time on the part uh, when explosion happened and government didn't know what to say. So of course, all the mass media belongs to the government. Mm -hmm. They can't say a word without you know people from above telling them what to say. So they just play classical music. Like you turn radio on and instead of news or some entertainment program, you have just Tchaikovsky, you know, or, or something like that. So and that was a people learned from prior experiences that if there's a classical music in the middle of the day, uh, instead of news, there's something really bad happen. 
And uh, I was 15 at that time. So we just went through this interesting era in the Soviet Union when we had a leader after leader dying like a flies. You know, you have a Brezhnev passed away uh, less than a year, then Andropov, and then we had Chernyanka. And same thing could happen when leader dies, you know, before they prep an official statements, they'll be playing classical music on the radio and showing like a ballet or something like that on TV. So people kind of learn from there. So if the radio plays classical music, it's probably our leader died again because it was one after another. And the day when I started playing classical music after Chernobyl explosion, my first thought was, oh my God, I can't believe Gorbachev died. He was so young, you know, so that was my first like thought. And then of course we had rumors started circulating in Kiev that something bad happened in Chernobyl. Uh, then my dad said that every driver from their factory was um, volunteered uh, to help with evacuation. So we had the rumors and everything going on way before government officially acknowledged there is a something happened at Chernobyl. So yeah, that was, that was a, I actually played soccer outside on the worst day possible when it was a, like a fallout in the Kiev era that radiation levels spiked. I was playing soccer outdoors. So yeah, that was a, definitely that was a huge disappointment uh, looking back on the reaction of the government. Uh, you know, you think when the government saw like vertical, you know, chain of command, everyone that should be like army, right? Let's do it, let's do it. And they were just all confused and scared. And uh, we learned the truth from the uh, enemy voices. I made videos about that too. So we had, uh, radio Free Europe, Voice of America. So you could catch those radio stations on the shortwave and they were telling like, hey, stay indoors, have your windows closed, don't consume any fresh goods, no milk, you know, no fresh milk, no cucumbers, don't touch anything fresh, stay indoors. And it was like, there's something really bad going on, but our government didn't say anything. It's enemy voices from abroad was telling us what to do. So damn, that was, that was crazy times. So... I, I've talked to a few different people uh, just, you know, casually having conversations um, and history is one of the big topics that come come up a lot. And I've, I've, I've heard the opinion before from some people that the disaster at Chernobyl was really what sent the fall of the Soviet Union into what it ended up being the the collapse of the uh, the Iron Curtain is what we had called it over here at stateside. Um, do you agree with that sentiment? Uh, I wouldn't say it was. I wouldn't say it was a major uh, reason, but it definitely didn't help. I mean, there was a combination of a, a lot of factors. You know, in the end of the Soviet life, I think if the oil prices would stay low. You know, you had 1979 oil crisis, which sent oil prices to the roof. And Soviet Union was like uh, flushed with billions of dollars. And it's actually, it's one of the reasons why a lot of Soviet people kind of miss Brezhnev days because that's when life got better. They started actually importing like foreign goods. So we had a little bit of uh, selection here and there. Some, you know, shoes from Finland, some toothpaste, even I remember from Eng uh, uh, England came. So, and the food food supply got better. Uh, so, 
if the oil prices will stay low, Soviet Union probably would collapse earlier because uh, during Andropov, you could tell like he really tried to tighten the screws. So the system already was wobbly. Um, so it's, he can't say it was doing great and then Chernobyl just kind of like, you know, like a uh, train hit it from no one saw it coming. Uh, economy was not doing great. And like, you know, we were running, I'm really cynical person, kind of, I guess. <laughs> so the way I see, you know, I, uh, the people, the only way you can make people work hard is, uh, or made them fear or made them being greedy. You, you know, people like capitalism, you know, you want a nicer house, you want a nicer car, uh, you want a, you want younger, prettier wife. So you work hard, you make money, you know, uh, you just work that way because you want to have a better lifestyle. So that's greed, right? And that's what's going on in the United it, States. It can be. Right. Stalin, uh, he realized that fact and he's like, well, I'm not paying you because we're in socialism. So you'll go to Gulag a labor camp or you work at the collective farm for free. So it's your choice. So people were working out of, uh, because of that, I, I couldn't say they work really hard, but you know, it's like during the slavery, I read some books about slavery. So there's the level that slaves will figure out that they can work just hard enough to keep owner somewhat happy and not get like punished for it. So there's always this kind of level. They don't work to the max because they know they're going to work themselves to death. And of course, they know if they will completely ignore orders, then we'll get punished. So that's what happened in the Soviet Union. People found that nice middle that they just work how fast. I don't know if I can say that. And, yeah. you know, just to get by because they'll get paid regardless if you assemble 10 bicycles a day or five or none, you still get paid the same. So eventually, and as I think it's a sports term in America to play up or play down. Yeah. So if you work hard and you're getting paid 150 rubles and a guy next to you doesn't work or barely works, gets paid the same, your productivity initially will start going down because like, why am I busting my butt if the guy next to me? So productivity was low. Of course, the you know Soviet Union spent a huge amount of money on military competing with the United States. Um, so that was a lot of factors. So definitely Chernobyl did not help, but I don't think it was a major factor. You know, you need to remember also Afghanistan uh, debacle. Uh, there was a huge amount. I don't know. It's probably comparable expense-wise to Chernobyl disaster. Uh, amount of money spent on Afghanistan because we were there from 1979 till 1987, I believe. So yeah. about the same time as United States. I mean, same result, uh, you know, so uh, thousands of lives lost uh, and we just pulled out uh, and uh, our government that stayed there, I mean, they wait, they hold it for three years. So that's the only kind of difference between American pullout and Soviet pullout. Uh, our guy remained in power, you know, till the Russia stopped providing money and weapons and then they pulled it down so there were several factors i don't think chernobyl was the major one but it definitely didn't help yeah so how how does um russians um and i'm sure you're more familiar with the uh, ukrainians at this point um how how does that part of the world feel 
um, in general about where they are now, so after Soviets? Well, it's, you know, when I was back in Kiev, probably close to half of my friends were Russians. Like, you, Kiev was a, quite a mixture, and uh, because of the so-called Russification, like, you could hardly find the Ukrainian school in the capital of Ukraine. Like, I was taught uh, all the subjects in Russian, my first language, so I'm a perfect product of the Soviet system. I'm a Soviet Ukrainian, so I'm by nationality, I'm Ukrainian. Mentally, I was always Soviet. Like when we were watching a hockey game and the, uh, you know, Canadian commentator, American commentator, oh, those Russians, you know, they, I was like, we're not Russians. Those are Soviet <laughs> hockey players. Like stop saying Russian players. So, um, of course, you know, a lot of Russians, they have this imperial kind of mentality. So for them, it's a huge, uh, tragedy because Soviet Union was like something to be like you respect the country you know it's the second uh, powerful country in the world and this and that and suddenly it just kind of collapsed into no one nobody and so a lot of Russians just they feel down because it's just like yeah when the Soviet Union was there everyone was scared of us now you know so now they're happy with Putin because he kind of brought Russia back to the level that neighbors are afraid of you. I mean, because that's the mentality. Like, do you think the people afraid of you, they like you? Not really, you know. So, uh, and of course, there's a lot of craziness going on. Like, there's a lot of people that are just um, so nostalgic about Soviet days. And, and I think it'll, it's a lot of reasons why one of them, I think, is just our memory set that way that you forget all the bad stuff. You kind of keep the memories of the good stuff. So, you know, I won't remember that crappy day was rain coming down when I was walking towards my girlfriend's apartment, but I'll remember what happened in her apartment. So, you know, like, oh, yeah, that was good times, but, you know, it was all soaking wet and cold, but I doesn't matter. I don't remember that. I remember, you know, when she kissed me and everything was great. So a lot of people have to remnants of this selective memories like oh yeah this was great this was great but i don't remember staying in line to buy you know uh, shoes for two hours something like that i forgot a lot of those things so it's it's quite interesting like i follow a lot of russian uh, social media and it just cracks me up because this is like arguments and like people scream at each other and some uh, yeah it, it's it's pretty crazy yeah it's it's interesting uh i we we call that uh looking at the past with rose colored glasses pretty much yeah it's yeah. you know i have a good example like i when i was a kid i truly enjoyed uh mushroom hunting uh, in the village in the woods you know in northern U in U ukraine uh, where i went to the village is like a northern michigan like 45th parallel so we have a lot of pine trees so birch trees and we have a lot of mushrooms i don't know why they don't have them in michigan that much so that was a great time so i was telling my kids all the stories how great it was you know hunting through the trees finding the little mushrooms then i brought my son and i was like all excited to show him we go in the woods and we walk both into the spider webs and it's like oh you know what kid i forgot about this part we need to get <laughs> sticks and need to walk in front of you, move the sticks all the time to knock down the spider webs. So I forgot the part about spiders at all. I remember just how fun it was to find a mushroom. 
Now, of course, mosquitoes went after us. Like, oh, I forgot this part too. So we need to bring bug <laughs> spray next time. So this is just, I don't know, your brain plays tricks with you, just leave the good memories and kind of files away the bad ones. So that was like shock for me that how can I forget there's a spider webs all over the place? And I don't remember at all till I walk into one, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. So I there there's one question I know my listeners will want to know is do you see any parallels between uh, what's going on now in the United States and how Soviets treated their citizens and how they ruled their citizens? Do you see any parallels today? Uh, yes and no. I, I really uh, not happy when people start calling uh, like Democrats socialists, you know, it's, I think it's a, such a simplification that it hurts my just inner being because like in the era of internet, it's so easy. You just Google what is socialism and read about it a little bit. And there's nothing socialist about what Democrats do. It's just this convenient uh, kind of sticker to slap. I don't like you, you're socialist. You know, there's the basic rules, what is socialism, you know, it's like, if I tell you, hey, you have your uh, vlog, you have your uh, channel, you're a social person. Doesn't mean you're a socialist. No, I'm always was anti-social person. They like to hang out with people. Doesn't make me anti-socialist, you know? So there's a lot of confusion. And I tell people, you need to listen to your politician. And if he will say, I want to nationalize industries, I want to nationalize banks, you know, then you say, okay, there is a socialist right there. Um, there's some social policies that uh, it definitely looks like government creates, for whatever reason, they think that people need to be helped. You know, like, okay, we'll need to give everyone money. Mm -hmm. The conversation about this, like this basic income, so you just, everyone gets money, no matter if they work or not. And this is the, that's kind of the bell that I, uh, think it's kind of like sounds scary when you start paying people for doing nothing it's it's just downhill from there because like why would i work if this guy doesn't work and gets paid you know already talk about it right so this is where it starts uh so there is some of it uh but unfortunately in america a lot of times i remember seeing photos uh, someone was holding a sign back in the 50s says mixing racism mixing races is communism so once again it's like if you don't like when, you know, black people and white people marry have kids, it's not communism. It's just, it's a different uh, situation, but it's convenient way of uh, just calling, you know, people fascist, people on the left and then on the right, they call you communist. Like if you see, I always post this comments that people call me socialist and communist. And then I have a uh, far left, he's called me that I'm a capitalist pig and all that stuff. So it, it's it's interesting, but there's some uh, like government definitely taking more and more things like acting like people are handicapped and they can't take care of themselves. Uh, what the reason for it, I can't tell you, but uh, United States right now definitely not in a good spot generally. It's uh, it's can be scary. Yeah, it's it's interesting. My uh... My standpoint is there, there's a, a lot of control by the corporations 
and a lot of control by government. And um, a, a friend of mine has kind of been uh, pushing the idea that Mussolini would be very proud of our system right now. Um, and the, the marrying and meshing of government and corporation. And it, it's more uh, economic fascism more than anything. And people seem, uh, not everybody, but some people, um, especially um, the later Gen X um, generation and the millennial generation seem to be calling for a lot more control over corporations and corporations having more control over government and all of these things. And it's, it's really interesting that people aren't calling it out for what it is. Um, it seems pretty scary that either a corporation or a government would have any level of control, um, even close to the extent that they do in this country. Um, deciding what information people have access to is one of the scariest things to me, which is actually why I have these conversations. It, it's a drop in the bucket, of course. Um, but I, I believe uh, in freedom of speech. And I, I think that that's incredibly important. People are intelligent by themselves and can hear both sides of the argument and make up their own mind. Right. Well, that's another part I find annoying a lot of times is that like we talk about socialism. Quick research can tell you what socialism is that you can just say, yes, this guy is socialist. Because I found a lot of uh, this argument, some people, they'll call, for example, like uh, Biden or Bernie Sanders socialist. Then next day, they'll be making fun uh, because look how uh, they are millionaires. They live in this, uh, you know, $500,000 homes. What a crappy socialist are. So like you call a guy a socialist and then you, and the same next day, you call him a bad socialist because he lives like a real capitalist. You know, yeah, he sold books. He made millions of dollars. He took advantage of the tax breaks that they pushed, you know. So it's definitely uh, Ify, but yeah, I, I kind of see what it's talking about when the corporations and the government kind of mesh up. But, you know, the United States have a bank, right, that uh, provides loans to so the other countries can buy products of American corporations, you know. So it's like, and then you lower taxes on American corporations while taxpayers' money provide the low interest loans. So it, it, there is a craziness going on. But at the same time, you know, like there's also this movement. I hear a lot talking about anti-globalism, right? That globalism is bad for United States. And I'm always asking, like, if you look at the major global corporations, the all United States of America corporations, all the world smokes Marlboros, world wears Levi's jeans, world drinks Pepsi and Coca-Cola. They eat McDonald's, like, I think McDonald's makes more profit overseas than they make in the United States. And, you know, we can check that out, Google it once again. But it's like, America is the one that started this whole global thing, right? I mean, the world using the United States dollar as a global currency. Like, America is the reason why globalism is so prominent, like, through the, every fabric of society, because that's what the United States did. And, of course, 
you know, we can talk about petrodollar and that every time that any country is trying to sell oil for anything else but United States dollar, there's a U.S. Navy air carrier show up and they convince the country like, you know, do, you don't do that. You know, so it, this is like really interesting, the situation when, you know, people don't understand that actually America like benefits, I'm not sure like every citizen benefits, but bankers definitely do uh, from United States applying globalism on the whole globe and supporting this kind of system with its nuclear air carriers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I think where people, at least the people that I talk to regularly get concerned with globalism is the destruction of the nation. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of pride, uh, a lot of national pride. Um, you know, the, the big scary word now is nationalism. Uh, I don't see any issue wrong with uh, being pri prideful of where you come from. Um, I, I think uh, when, when, when it's blind and you don't have any criticisms of where you come from, I think it can become dangerous. Uh, when it's coupled with other ideas, it's definitely can be dangerous. Um, but having pride in where you come from, I don't think is inherently wrong or nefarious. So well, as I, long as you don't think you're better than a person next to you just because you were born in the United States, you know, yeah. uh, that's kind of my uh, issue is, you know, like, okay, I'm Ukrainian by nationalities, but I didn't file any paperwork that I would like to be born in Kiev as a male and Ukrainian, you know? So if we had a choice like that, you know, you think like maybe you think the person in Honduras filed the paperwork, like, I want to pick like the worst country in the world and I want to be born in the poorest village, you know? It's like, it happened that way. So I'm, in that respect, like I see pride, but it's like, I'm more of the person like you need to, like if you went to military service, you served your country, you know, you help community, you pay taxes that you're supposed to pay, not dodging them. And then, so then sure, you can be proud of, uh, yes, I'm American, but people who dodge military service and somehow I see this new trend that most of our presidents in the United States is the, you know, the all worst military service dodgers. Like they, for some reason, uh, it's like, I don't want to say we need to make a law that you need to go serve in the military to become a president, but it's like, you know, Clinton and Trump and Bush did the National Guard, but they all are just careful, you know, it's like rich kids are the one that go to military. And now, of course, they made it easy not to do anything because there's no draft. Uh, so this, you know, if your actions do, you know, then sure, you could be proud of it. But just hugging the flag while you dodge the military service, I'm really skeptical. And, you know, Biden, like, also, I, I look, like, looked it up like, hey, he dodged his service, too. He was uh, really good in sports in high schools and suddenly had some issue with his back where it was time to be drafted. And, um, yeah. Yeah, he's, it's, he's uh, been a career politician, almost like all of them. And they're oh, all well, part of one club, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, what I've 
realize how old Biden is is when I saw a picture of him during his 1979 visit to Soviet Union. Like he is shaking head with yeah. Gromyka, which is I remember as a tiny kid, I remember that guy on TV. I remember his name. I was like, oh my God, Biden was already in politics when I was still, uh, you know, playing in a sandbox. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's pretty yeah. crazy. He, so he first got elected into office just right out of uh, law school. And it's oh, yeah, that's been true, in yeah. office ever since. But, you know, so. we got these wild swings we have from person had zero experience in politics and the reality show star, you know, and you can call him successful businessman. And then we go in the opposite, completely opposite guy who old as mold and, you know, <laughs> Well, politically, you know, was, can't find any more, more professional politic in him, you know. And Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely, you know, but if you look in the big picture in the world, you know, this is how they always went. You know, you had a, looking back, you know, Spain was one most powerful country in the world, you know, industrial power, Navy power. Then England took over, kicked Spain's ass, right? Then World War II kind of destroyed British Empire and pushed America to be number one, right? So it's like, okay, every 70 years, 100 years, there's a new power rising now. I mean, we, we created China, you know? I can't blame anyone but United States for, uh, you know, providing China with all the technology, uh, all the money, everything uh, to uh, make it a superpower, you know? This, Nobody else buys so much Chinese goods than the United States, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and so. I, I would argue that a, a lot of people have been uh, selling our country for uh, in favor of China, uh, making it harder to manufacture goods here, so we end up buying more goods from them. Right. It, you know, and this is the major difference between uh, China and Soviet Union, if you think about it. Uh, Lenin a uh, long time ago said that greedy capitalists, uh, they will sell us the rope that we're going to use to hang them up, you know, to hang them. And that's what happened during the Stalin um, era. We, he confiscated grain from uh, peasants and peasants were starving to death, so-called Goldomor, like in Ukraine, Kazakhstan, sold grain at the discount to the West and used the money to buy American equipment. British equipment. So he was buying the rope. He, you know, American specialists came to build these factories. We had a lot of tractor factories that uh, were manufacturing tanks. Well, China went different way. China's like, no, you will teach us how to make the best rope in the world. And that's how, you know, till recently, you couldn't open any business in China if you don't have 50-50 uh, with local uh, corporations, right? So you transfer know-how to China because you're so greedy, you want that Chinese business. And as a result, you know, they really uh, shortcutted this whole process of growing as a, you know, economy because, okay, give us your technology, show us how to build high-speed trains, show us how to build super fast computers, how to build better cars. You know, it's, uh, that's what greed does, I guess, you know, yeah. there's another, once again, how much you want government to control that part? Because, you know, when Trump started doing uh, tariffs, you know, okay, this is actually government controlling uh, the flow of capital, flow of goods. 
So it's complicated. It's not easy answer for all those questions. And I, I don't have any answers. Yeah, I, I think it's it, it's definitely difficult. Um, you know, there's there's two people at play here, two people at fault. We 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 have the politicians who have made the deals that have um, hurt the country, and yet we have the citizens who voted the people in. Now, who's more responsible? Um, right. I, I would I would I would place a lot of the blame at the uh, the feet of the people who continue to vote in people that make bad policy or policy that um, favors another country, um, depending on where they come from, uh, what, what the person is complaining about. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm not left or right. I'm a little bit of both. Um, right. I'm, liber I'm libertarian. So, uh, you know, I, I tend to believe I'm more reasonable than the left or the right. Uh, I have lots of conversations about that all the time. And uh, of course, I would love to see a strong nation. I would love to see this strong nation work with other strong nations, though. Um, you know, uh, I'm not an isolationist. You know, I don't, I don't believe that uh, we're the only great country. So I, I do uh, definitely blame a lot of uh, the voting citizenry um, for continuing to vote in people who sell out the country. Well, if you look also, you know, you guys here, I mean, I'm still, I'm an American citizen, but, you know, I still have my uh, Soviet passport from back <laughs> in the day. Um, so we had one party system. You have it better. You know, you have two party system, but still not good. You know, it's, it needs to be more choice. It should be more powerful third, fourth party. Then they have to compromise. But right, because right now it's just like, you know it's bad or ugly you know it's uh, yeah when uh when in 2014 right is that the when clinton was against the, uh, the election 15 or, 2015 and 16. okay so i was like i don't vote i can't vote for hillary it just it's just no yeah so then like I look at the option of Trump, I was like, okay, I listened to him. I was like, okay, I can't vote for this guy either. I liked his <laughs> wife and that was about yeah. it. You know, it's just, so I voted third party, but you know, it didn't do much good. Uh, so it's just, uh, sometimes I just wonder and it's almost looks like, you know, this is a great distraction for people. It's just half of the nation beating another half of the nation when those guys and go have a drinks and they laugh all the way to the bank taking money you know yeah. like everyone yeah, that's, uh, that's that's exactly how i i view things uh they they play things up in front of the camera they might say that they're on opposite sides but behind closed doors they they do business together their children yeah. go to school together it's, it's always about the money and then, yeah. you know don't vote uh, 100 percent when it's set to start a new war right yeah. if you look at the voting record and the only times when it's 100% vote or maybe one person against it, they'll be, oh, let's invade another country because, you know, a democracy yeah. there at risk. Sp speaking of that, um, how do you feel about what's going on at, uh, in, in Ukraine right now with uh, the Russians and uh, uh, the United States kind of hyping things up? Right. Well, 
the problem started a long time ago. It's just it was never kind of like a focus of the Western media because, you know, uh, Russia took over Crimea back in 2014. This is what, almost what, eight years ago, right? Uh, yeah. But that kind of uh, went on the radar, like, okay, uh, Russia, Crimea was kind of Russian, sure, whatever. Then, you know, Putin like, okay, I guess it's fine. And now let's uh, see what we can do in Eastern Ukraine. So it's just, um, Russia doesn't understand the kind of this type of language when you try to talk. I don't understand like bullying, right? So, uh, and Russians generally, and that goes way back to the Soviet days, we always look at the NATO as the aggressive kind of pack. So it was created to attack Soviet Union. So with that mentality, and of course, Putin is former KGB. And, and if you look at the, you know, how NATO was growing after the collapse of Soviet Union, it definitely looks like it's slowly creeping up on the Russian bear. So if I'm Russian bear who looks at the NATO as the hunter, definitely Russian bear is not happy. Uh, what the NATO has in mind, you know, I don't know, but I understand like Baltic states, you know, they made a hard choice uh, buying a natural gas from an oil from Russia at the deep discount or go to the West. And they learned their lesson from 1940 when Soviet Union uh, forced them to accept Soviet troops. And then they had election there and 100% went for socialist government. So they're like, yeah, we've seen this movie before. We'll pay world uh, market prices for oil, but we would like to join NATO. Ukraine made a different choice, but this is what happened because Ukrainians were keeping electing former communists. Like pretty much every uh, president, you know, Russia made it simple. They just kept Putin since 1999. We had quite a few presidents, but most of them were former communists. So those guys don't know how to create they just know how to steal so they just rob the country blind and which is where you know holding by the thread using cheap oil and gas from russia so russia of course uh, considers like we're obligated like you we su supported you for all these years and now you bastards want to run away and join nato i haven't didn't hear anybody official uh, acknowledgement that there's actually something on the table to join NATO, but Russia definitely don't want to allow Ukraine to become NATO member. But once again, that's how you look at the NATO, like what Russia did to Georgia, you now what Russia did to Ukraine, I changed 180 on the NATO thing, because before that I was like, okay, Cold War is over, Warsaw Pact is gone, you probably should disassemble NATO, it's done its purpose, right? But suddenly, Russia, once they recovered, they started messing around with, you know, this biggest country in the world, surrounded with this little tiny but really aggressive neighbors. They constantly attack poor Russia, you know, and Russia has to respond. You know, they attacked Georgia in 2008, took a chunk of territory. Moldova, they did even earlier in the 90s. Now it's Ukraine turn. So it just um, now it's like, okay, Ukraine will be better off with NATO, but you know, it's too late. Um, I don't think personally Putin gonna attack. Uh, Ukraine is too big of the country to swallow. And 
there's a new generation grew up that they are actually quite nationalist. Like uh, I go sometimes on Reddit and I, once again, I'm being hated on the Russian Reddit and Ukrainian Reddit <laughs> because once Russians find out I'm Ukrainian, let's say there's like, you're, you know, you're a neo-Nazi, you're the dead band. And when the Ukrainians find out I'm a Ukrainian that speaks Russian instead of Ukrainian, banned. You know, so it's <laughs> that situation when you're in the middle, you're getting, you know, hammered from both ends. Uh, so th that new generation, quite a few of them, they are like, it's not my generation. I'll be like, okay, well, Russia going to take over, big deal. You know, I don't see a reason to die just because, you know, the president will be in Moscow again than in Kiev. I grew up 20 years. I mean, it wasn't great, but didn't get much better, you know, in independent Ukraine because everything got stolen. Some people got filthy rich and the, most of the population are you know, barely getting by. So, Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I read an article uh, yesterday that was stating, um, I, it, it was, a uh, politician from Ukraine was uh, publicly made a statement saying that uh, Biden and the uh, politicians over here were um, hyping things up and making them seem a lot worse in American media um, to try and play both sides and try and start a conflict that is most likely not going to happen. Um, announcing that they are sending weapons, um, constant news coverage uh, through CNN, MSNBC, these things, to try and get people all hyped up and concerned of, you know, World War III, uh, bring back the Red Scare. And I, I think there's a lot of legitimacy to that. Um, and I, I, I think uh, due to the economy and a lot of things that the Biden administration has been currently doing and failing at, um, I think they're looking for the perfect opportunity to be able to uh, start a new war and get the focus off of the homeland and onto another. How do yeah, you Yeah, that could, could be a good distraction. It's, I mean, I was back in the my so-called Maidan events of 2013 when Seoul started, you know, when they uh, forced the, the pro-Russian president Yanukovych to flee you know, there was a huge mess right in Kiev. Uh, I had concern that, you know, that Ukraine could be as a worm on a hook for Russia. You know, like Russia like still could be broken apart, right? Like Yugoslavia, Russia is like the last country that consists of this totally different little regions with total different population like Dagestan, Chechnya. So there's a still can be broken apart. So I have this concern, but I neither can, you know, I don't have any proof that, you know, using Ukraine as the bait to get Russia involved. And then of course, America comes to help. And in the end, when dust settles, there is no more uh, Russia. You know, it's like, Long term, it'd be kind of nice that Russia would be stopped being superpower somewhat. But you know, when my own country gets as a bait, I'm not happy about it either. You know, it's uh, kind of similar situation, uh, like what happened to Afghanistan. 
I mean, there's some people in the government of the United States were hoping to convince Soviets that, uh, you know, they're going to move in. A, like, I was told by the Soviet media that we were at like 50, day or two, if we will be day or two late moving into Afghanistan, Americans will come in and install their um, uh, middle range nuclear we weapons uh, right in Afghanistan, you know, in underbelly of Soviet Union. So that was pretty much race uh, for time. But America never had those plans, but some people were creating this kind of smoke and mirrors effect to convince Russia, like, get in, so we'll do to you uh, Russian of Vietnam, which actually happened, right? As long as the Soviet Union moved in Afghanistan, then suddenly uh, America started helping freedom fighters, providing them with stingers, and then went downhill from there. So it could be Ukraine kind of same scenario, uh, to get Russia really pissed and actually uh, attempt to occupy. And then, of course, you put sanctions, you collapse economy. And, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Uh, obviously, I'm completely against any nation building. It, it's not our place. Mm -hmm. um, it's... Uh, I, I am not a fan of war. I'm absolutely against it at all cost um it any any uh, military action should only happen in self-defense uh you should never strike first and you should never in my opinion i don't think america should be involving itself in other countries uh disputes there's no way that us going into any situation is going to make it any better um if there was a uh, it, if i actually trusted the leaders um to uh say like there is a very credible threat and we need to have a presence in case that would be a little bit of a different story uh standing up for somebody who might not be able to do it themselves um from what i understand ukraine would be pretty pretty capable um maybe not in the long run but initially they would be able to uh, hold their own for a while how do you feel about that? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, Russia definitely way more powerful country with more advanced technology. You know, they have so many tanks and uh, aircraft. There's like army to army. Definitely, I think Ukraine has no chance. But uh, the only way you can fight those wars is like guerrilla style wars. And if you look at the history, Western Ukraine. It was under like Poland, Austro-Hungarian Empire, and uh, Soviet Union took over it only for a short period of time in 1939, 1940, when they split Poland with Germany. Um, then after war was over in 1945 with Germany, Stalin was for another 11 years, they were trying to get Western Ukraine under total control. So it took them 11 years under Stalin to get those uh, uh, Ukrainian nationalist fighters to finally wipe them out. So there is a history of Ukrainians fighting guerrilla war, but of course, if they will be open fight, you know, I mean, how long did it take for America to take over Afghanistan? Was like a week? It, it was, well, I mean, some, some would argue that we never took over the country. Right, and, uh, but you know, the, like, the whole thing was technically a, a was, you know, same as Iraq, and then you have this guerrilla war will drag for years, and that's the question is how long people of United States or 
you know, in Soviet Union, of course, under Stalin, he, he could afford 20 years of war. He didn't care, you know, people had no work. Uh, so the only chance I think Ukraine has is actually not to fight, you know, like classical battle style because Russia will wipe them out. They just have way more of everything. But guerrilla war, that's the only way to, it's more challenging because our landscape is not that, you know, you need to have mountains and forests. Uh, so it would be harder, but that's the only way Ukraine can uh, fight back is actually hide and strike, you know, not the open battle. I mean, look at Finland. I mean, they managed to wear out the Red Army back in 1940. I mean, tiny army, tiny country, and uh, they end up resisting total occupation, although that's what Stalin had in mind. Same so, with but... Poland for the most part until Hitler, you know. Right. Well, Poland's had a pretty good history of uh, being able to fight off larger armies historically. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I I try to uh, not consume too much mainstream American media. I really try to uh, find a balance between uh, other news stations outside the U.S. Um, seem to be giving a more full picture of what's going on. Um, right. I, I I believe uh, there is a lot of state-ran media in this country um, pushing a very specific narrative. And when, when I hear things like, uh, you know, Putin's this, Putin's that, or even vice versa, I'm, I'm not sure who the, uh, the president is over in Ukraine right now. Um, but anyone calling the other person, um, you know, a warmonger, uh, and choose, choose whatever trigger word, um, I start raising questions and right. like, what, what's the full story here? Because there's no way CNN can be telling me the truth about what's going on in these countries. Well, um, they, they got really good in pushing talking points. And that's kind of impressive because you can, I mean, I don't watch TV for a long time. You know, I get snippets of news here and there on YouTube, but you could like, if you flip the channels, the old style, well, they'll be like, there are specific talking points, and that's all going to keep on pounding. Same word combination on every channel, just like, okay, this is our talking points for today. Let's, uh, you know, drill it in the people's mind, you know, that Putin is a killer, Putin is a killer, and it will be going, you know, till, okay, next one is this. So it's definitely it's a good idea. Like, I would listen to the Russian, because, you know, I'm fluent in Russian and Ukrainian. I'll listen to Ukrainian YouTubers, to Russian YouTubers. Then I see, you know, try to filter all this nationalist drama and propaganda, see what actually going on. But uh, it, it's definitely, yeah, in America, they, they know how to manipulate the public opinion. It's, I mean, they're professionals at it. There's just no doubt about it. That's why it's a good idea. But, you know, with internet, like you are, you can explore and find other sources of information. It's just what annoys me that a lot of people don't bother. Yeah, well, I, I've noticed uh, lots of people like to uh, read headlines, and then right. that's it. They, well, they don't even read, read the actual article. Well, you think about it also, uh, we have, um, I don't know about other countries, but in America, a lot of people don't want news anymore. They want uh, coverage of the news that matches their emotions. So they, they want somebody, like, you know, if somebody 
watching Fox News, a lot of those guys, they're not really news anchors, right? They're just opinion type of person. So they will provide opinion that matches your opinion and just kind of, and the same on the left. So they don't want the actual news and think about it. Like, yeah, tell me what do you think about those news because that, you know, I want be on the same wave with you because that's, so they want just to share emotions, not like analyzing actual news. And that's what uh, kind of frustrating because, you know, you just talk to some people like talking to the wall, you know, they got those talking points. Like you talk to different people yeah. and they come up with exactly the same thing. I was like, you guys definitely get in somewhere like prepped really well because you repeat exactly the same talking point, no matter what. And it's like, there's no way you're going to come up on your own with these numbers, you know, or something like that. You talk yeah. to any Russians about Ukraine, they'll bring Nuland and $5 billion in CIA funds. I was like, okay, well, we need to look what is the $5 billion was like given right away. No, it's in 20 years. Okay, so it's $250 million a year. Actually, good idea to look where the money went. You know, if you're telling me that they were planning this coup in Ukraine back in 1994 when Kravchuk was president, like, man, the CIA really looked forward, like, okay, in 20 years, we need to pump this money to get the coup ready. So it's not the truth. So something in the middle, you just need to look it up and find out how much who was involved, you know, stuff like that. So, but people don't want to, you know, they want simple answers to complicated yeah. questions. And that's the main challenge. Granted, I, I do believe uh, the CIA has had a, a large hand in a lot of this, <laughs> you, know, well, they, I, you know, they, they definitely I, don't look out for us citizens or any other citizens. You know, it's just, could be i like i was asking on my youtube channel because some people said that about five billion dollars cia but i was like okay if you tell me that was doing for 20 years is definitely it's not like they already predicted that in 2014 there'll be a pro-russian president because we had a pro-russian president before that kuchma the guy even couldn't speak ukrainian like it was you have a president of the country that you know picture you electing a guy that uh barely speaks English, his first language is Spanish, you know. <laughs> That's what happened in Ukraine. Like dude dude was like literally struggling to say anything in Ukrainian and we elected him as the president of Ukraine. So we had pro Russian presidents prior. Uh so it's like why then wasn't cool then? You know, it just had to be now. It's it's more the they might be involved, but as I said it's not like they prepped this whole mess twenty years in advance. You know, yeah. so yeah, it's I don't know ge geopolitics. It's it's really interesting. Um, however, I regardless of what happens, I all I know is I'm against any new wars. Oh, um, absolutely. It's it's uh not not in anyone's favor. To well, lose, somebody lose makes life. good money. You know. Yes, yes, Ray Raytheon and uh, you know BlackRock. A lot of these massive yeah, they, they just posted their profits collapsed for some reason recently. Oh, wait, that's because uh, they stopped Afghanistan war. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so a new war popping up because they want to make more money all of a sudden, you know, makes a little bit more sense. So, I mean, they, they, they you know, they got shareholders. They have their responsibilities. It's business as usual. You know, it's McDonald's trying to sell more hamburgers. Raytheon trying to sell more, you know, whatever they make uh, missiles. missiles or other missiles, systems am, so yeah it's, ammunition um 
pretty, pretty much munitions, you know, um, way, ways to uh, annihilate people. So right. in, in some of the most horrible ways, which if it's self-defense, that's one thing. But when you're the aggressor trying to uh, bolster things up, make things seem more um, more bad than they actually are, I, I, I think there's a certain level of responsibility to that. And, you know, I really hope uh, American citizens really take a long look at this that uh, we don't get involved in something that for one is none of our business and for two um, could end really badly for everyone involved. So. Right. But that's the history shows like every time both parties vote hundred percent together, it's uh, to start a new war. That's what the yeah. most concerning part, like they, you know, Hey, nine 11 happened. Uh, let's attack someone. Yeah. looks like Iraq was involved, <laughs> you yeah. know, like how many Iraq people, Iraqi terrorists were on those planes? Like one, mm -hmm. the rest was from Saudi Arabia, but we're going to attack Iraq. Exactly. And, and we're, we're not even going to ask questions. We're, we're also going to go to Afghanistan. We're also yeah, going to well, go to Libya. You know, we'll, we'll just spread out in that region of the country, which, yeah. you know, the, the U.S. should have learned from what happened to the Soviets in the 80s and late 70s, you know, that and any country that goes in to the Middle East is not going to win. And it's, right. it's you're, you're gonna come out with a bunch of bruises, which is exactly what happened. And we wasted all that money, lives wasted for no reason. And yep. it, it's interesting. Um, that's, why, uh, that's why I vote for third party. Um, you know, I, at one point in time, I do remember when Democrats used to be anti-war, um, whether they, uh, voted that way or not, they at least talked about it. Uh, now they don't, um, I, I only see third parties talking anti-war. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. You reminded me, uh, I still remember when Ronald Reagan uh, became a president. I was, was at 81, maybe. Uh, so I was like 10 year old and there was Cold War ready at that height. So we all were, so we were told that uh, Carter, Jimmy Carter is such a hawk uh, that he just wanted to start, you know, war uh, with Soviet Union, made, made Cold War into hot war. And there's a hope that Ronald Reagan now got elected. So maybe now there'll be kind of improvement and we'll have a peace talks. <laughs> and actually, I remember being kind of happy that less scared that now we have Ronald Reagan in America, maybe something will prove, but definitely didn't go that way. But it's kind of my recollection back in those days that I first remember knowing about American president and hoping to be something anti-war. So b before we wrap up here, uh, what's, what, what's a couple of uh, stereotypes of your culture that you see here in the United States that just drive you crazy? Uh, like uh, what people think about uh, Russian Soviet Union kind of yeah. thing. I mean, it's there's some just oldies, you know, like uh, all Russians do just drink vodka and ride bears. You know, there's a lot of this kind of, <laughs> you know, like totally stuff like, yeah. hey, did you ever like pay attention? You know, I find it a little bit, I mean, I, I can't say annoying because I utilize myself like, Anytime there's anything about Soviet Union and Russia, they'll make 
English letters flip to look make it look like Russian, you know, like letter R, they'll flip because yeah. it's our ya. But I did that to Ushanka show, so I can't mm. really complain. So, you know, I'm become westernized. Um, I think people know more now, but then back then, because the internet opened up and there's a lot of YouTube channels that people can actually see. Uh, but can't even think right now that most will be like when I came in 95, no one even knew what Ukraine is. I'm telling people I'm Ukrainian and they're like, what is this? You know, so I end up telling people I'm Russian because I give up explaining what Ukraine is. So that kind of thing was really annoying that people had no clue. You know, they just know that part of the world, it's everyone is Russian, you know. Yeah. So a um, couple, couple of things, uh, the the stereotypes I, I always saw growing up was uh, the Adidas. What's, what's up with the Adidas thing? All right. Uh, yeah, actually... Uh, it's true as that like even on this picture i'm all decked out adidas t-shirt and adidas jacket um it's pretty much uh it was the only foreign brand that we were familiar with it's like we never knew about nike or pumas uh and especially after the soviet union uh government signed the contract there was actually a decision on the highest level of the soviet government which company to pick uh, for the Soviet Olympics team to wear, like to be supplier. So that was uh, agreed, okay, let's do, they couldn't do, of course, American brand because, you know, Cold War, they're bad guys. So they picked Adidas. So that's how the Adidas kind of came to the Soviet Union. So that was the only cool brand we knew about it. So even if you bring something else, like people had no clue, like what is this ASICS or I don't know what else was back in the 80s. We didn't know any other brands. So it's like, if you know Gucci is cool and you know, so then you just bring Gucci. So Adidas was kind of um, back in the day in the 90s, uh, was just the only cool thing you can dream of. It's just, I don't know, it was just like almost like your microchip is programmed that way. That's why even I came here I was like, I need a Adidas T-shirt. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it, it's pretty crazy. Of course, now people discovered all other uh, brands, so it's only like some people, like this Gopnik culture, that stayed with Adidas, that became kind of their signature. But yeah, back in the Soviet days, like it's, it's the only cool brand you knew about. It was Adidas, the only thing you could get if you knew yeah. people or you're willing to pay, you know, two hundred rubles. So you pay more than your monthly salary for a pair of Adidas shoes. So that was the coolest thing you could get. Yeah, that's that's absolutely crazy. So that that's why I love your channel, though, is you cover topics like this. Uh, you cover the stereotypes. You cover daily life, how things were. Um, Thanks. One, one thing I do want to touch on just before we uh, wrap up was uh, you had made a comment in a video about how it was in, um, difficult for you to uh, still imagine how people can so freely criticize their their leaders. Oh yeah, that was nuts. Uh, literally, uh, it's when I uh, came to America '95. So we already have four years, you know, of uh, more Soviet Union. And uh, how I got introduced to American uh, newspapers, I work at the farm after I finished working in the camp. 
I got a job uh, working the local farm, and one of my uh, responsibility was to pack peaches in the crates. And of course, farmer being a person that I like spend extra money, uh, all his relatives were bringing newspapers, and I was, you know, using newspapers to put on the bottom of the crate. So I started seeing cartoons, and I was really shocked to see political cartoons like. Americans making fun of their president. Like, I was like, oh my God, somebody did like that in Russia, he'll <laughs> get arrested next day. Mm. You know, it's just, we never ever made, I mean, we had a jokes kind of like in the kitchen whispering, like, hey, did you hear this? Listen, you know, joke about Brezhnev, but in open to make fun of the leaders, it's, it took me forever to, like, I was not like, holy crap, these Americans are crazy. How can you, it's your leader. You know, and even like when there was that Cole Clinton, Monica Lewinsky debacle, I think it's around the same time, right? 96, 97, I guess. Yeah. Um, I was also shocked, like, why they allow uh, mass media to do that. Like, if somebody will be doing it to Putin like that and he has some younger girlfriends, you know, there'll be people jumping out of the windows, you know, uh, getting hit by cars and stuff like that. You know, this is not allowed because you need to show respect to a leader. So the fact that Americans can still make fun of their leaders, I mean, that's a good sign. But yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I was like, can't believe it. They just made this ugly picture of, you know, Bush or Clinton. And it's just like making him, you know, all his permanent picture when war is like, and nothing, they're not gonna do anything about it. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. So I, I, I had to mention it because that's, I, I, I know mean, nothing other than. Right. You know, in government, it's your servant, right? You elect government to be a servant, to do your bidding. So if yeah. you see something they don't, don't do, you don't like, you just make fun of them. It's totally cool. Uh, like I Now I look at it that way. But before, my gosh, it's just the whole idea that in a big newspaper will be this caricature of the president it's like you nuts <laughs> yeah that's that's just so interesting having that perspective and i'm i'm sure it's still uh is interesting to you to look back on things and look at oh, yeah, your I mean, life now back in my day wasn't that bad but back in the stalin era we had people who went to to labor camps for 10 years because wife wrapped to you know the butterbrot sandwich into newspaper and it happened to be a stain grease stain on this portrait of Stalin. The co-worker saw it, reported to uh, NKVD, the Internal Affairs Office, and the guy goes to labor camp in Siberia for 10 years because uh, he showed disrespect to their leaders. So this is what I came from, you know. Wasn't that bad in my days during Brezhnev, but uh, this is how people could get punished for showing disrespect even by accident. I'm not talking you know, you want to watch out if you use newspaper and outhouse, you make sure there's no portraits of your leader because you can get in serious trouble too. Yeah, I, I, I think it's kind of scary how there's still some uh, regimes out there like that, such as like North Korea. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. The, uh, any uh, level of disrespect and you disappear pretty quickly. Yeah, well, you know what, this is what happens, like I consider if you elect someone, it's like you, you let the goat in your garden where a lot of cabbage. And if goat stays there for too long, he started considering it's his cabbage, right? It's its cabbage. Like Putin, like 
they kept him since 1999. So now the guys like run in the country, like it's my garden. I do whatever I want. You know, it's like they don't care that there's a, you know, old people barely surviving on their pensions, but we're going to design this super duper supersonic nuclear uh, missile that can fly for five days before they hits Florida. You know, so uh, this is what happens when you don't have a proper way of changing government on a regular basis and let people, you know, we talked about election America, but still it's better than Putin like, okay, you know, we now we need to change our constitution just a little bit because I would like to stay as the president for another four or five times, you know, since 1999, like it's insane. This whole generation grew up under one leader, you know, we're back to the Soviet days when, you know, once you get a top power, you're going to die at the helm. You, You don't give up. It's really sad. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I think it's uh, specifically with Putin, um, him being a former KGB agent, which I think is kind of interesting. I I had actually seen a picture of uh, Putin um, back with uh, Ronald Reagan when he had first come to Russia, and Putin was there dressed as a just a tourist visiting Moscow. And I thought it was really interesting because you saw him in the background and it's very no, clearly him. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. You know, you had the world leaders there, but you also had some tourists in the background that just happened to be Putin. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of oh, yeah. interesting. And uh, the fact that he stayed in for so long is. Uh, I, I know people like him, you know, I. I oh, it, it's a lot of people like strong leaders, you know, that's just. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember watching one uh, YouTube video on Russian, and it was like, these people live in the village, and there's no like real good roads, so they have to be on a trailer pulled by the big tractor because the regular vehicle can't make it. So they go through this horrible mud and you know holes, while a guy talking to local teacher. And he's discussing, he's really concerned about events in Syria. Like, dude, did you see what road you on? Why are you so concerned that Russia needs to protect something in Syria when you don't have a road going to your place? Like once a week, you can get out on a tractor trailer to town yeah. to get some shopping. But this, some people like, yeah, he's like, yeah, Putin really needs to take care of situation in Syria. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> do you see what you have in your own country? You know? No. But that's how they, a lot of them is for them, the great Russia is more important than my uh, everyday life. Like I can get by, it's okay. We need to show the world that we are still the mighty power, you know? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So, oh, okay, so I gotta say thank you again for doing this. This was, a, sure. th- this was a lot of fun and I would definitely like to get you back on um, at yeah, some no point. Problem. So uh, where, let, let people know where they can find you in uh, your show. Uh, sure. Uh, if you go on YouTube, I'm kind of being shadow banned by YouTube. So if you search anything like USSR, Soviet Union, uh, my channel never shows up. I only guess and why. But Ushanka Show, so U-S-H-A-N-K-A, Ushanka Show, uh, you'll find me. I also have an Instagram account, Ushanka underscore show. Uh, so yeah, if you got interested in uh, life in the Soviet Union, from my perspective, uh, you're welcome to check it out and subscribe if you want. Definitely do that. It's a 
real, real great channel. I've, I've learned quite a bit and uh, it was definitely a real honor to have you on. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for making it to this part in the episode. Uh, make sure to visit rise to liberty.store for all of our merch and rise to liberty.com slash free speech for the telegram group for as long as that lasts. So uh, any parting words? Uh, just uh, do your research. Uh, don't believe into what, uh, if they're two different uh, things saying exactly the same words, those are key points, you probably want to research deeper. Uh, so keep, a, we call it critical thinking, uh, question attitude, and uh, we will succeed and uh, vote with your mind, not your emotions. That's well put. All right. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll catch you next episode. Hang Thank out you. for a minute, Sergey, and uh, we'll uh, get caught up on the back end. Stay All free, right. my friends. Bye-bye.